Welcome back to the Religious Studies Project. It is Monday morning, which means that we do have a new episode for you today. I'm Andy Alexander, and joining me today is... David Robertson. Good to see you, Andy. Great to have you back in the the virtual recording studio here. (laughs) So today, you interviewed Gordon Lynch about the 2021 report for the Research Excellence Framework. This framework is new to me, the REF is new to me, and it might be new to some of our listeners. Could you tell us a little about the REF and why this report is important for research in the UK? Sure, and and maybe I'll try and sell why it should be of interest to everyone, right? So the Research Excellence Framework, we tend to call it the REF, right? What it is, is a way of ranking the research outputs of universities. So it's basically, so for all disciplines and all the universities, there's a panel of academics convened from across those disciplines and they look at the things that the various universities have produced. So their publications, their research programs, and also their public engagement and also their, um, what do they call it, environment, right? So like how conducive a place is it to doing research? How how set up is it to support researchers and so on? And they, they grade all of this stuff and then it gets put into a big number cruncher and they come out with a ranking for different all the different universities. And then this is used to distribute research funding. So the better you do the more research funding you get. And theoretically, also it affects things like how many students you attract or whether you're sort of, you know, if you're in the top 10 universities in the ref for your field, you're going to get more calls from the BBC or, you know, those kind of things. So it's kind of prestige and it's, but it's also about, you know, the, the money that you get. So the kind of scholarship funds, for instance, will be distributed according to the, the ref scores. So where I've worked, we've gone up a couple of places. So we might be able to offer a couple of more places of support for students in the coming years. So it's a it's a UK specific thing, but there are a lot of points in the conversation with Gordon where we sort of talk about why we do these kind of exercises and and the details of how we do that kind of thing. Right. So you have to distribute money somehow, and this way certainly isn't perfect. But there isn't another way that is perfect. And we sort of go into some of that stuff during the episode. So it's, uh, I guess it's more about the way that universities work rather than anything about religion specifically. But we do talk a little bit uh, about kind of this, what this says about the state of the field in, uh, in, in, at least mm-hmm. in the context of universities and university departments, which I think certainly listeners in the US are going to find to have some familiar beats, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because a lot of schools, of course, in the US and, and, and other countries, too, I'm thinking now, right, Australia have faced department closures. And so I think these are issues. I mean, even though this is, you know, focused on the UK, these are issues that are cropping up uh, and becoming a lot more prevalent for religious studies departments, for sure. Getting a better understanding of, of how funding and resources are allocated is is always helpful. Yeah, and the, the institutional factor is always part of the politics of what we do, you know, of how uh, how the field works. So it's worth bearing in mind. I think you are right. So how about we just jump right into the episode? This is you, David, talking with Gordon Lynch 
about the REF 2021 report. Take it away. If you're an academic working in the UK at the moment, the chances are high that you'd want to think about anything else except for the REF, the Research Excellence Framework, which will have taken up a significant amount of your department's time and energy over the last few years. But it is nevertheless an important part of the institutional environment of academia in the UK. And uh, so... It's something that people working elsewhere or who hope to be working in a UK department um, would be interested in, in understanding a little bit better. And to help us do that, I'm welcoming today Gordon Lynch, who is a professor of modern theology at the University of Kent and was chair of the TRS Theology and Religious Studies sub-panel of Ref 21. Welcome to the Religious Studies Project, Gordon. Well, thanks for having me, David. It's really nice to spend time and, and very grateful to have the opportunity to talk more about this today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Um, this having just been my first uh, time through the Ref. Um, but uh, let's start right at the beginning for any of our listeners who uh, who just you know, this is the first time encountering it, perhaps. Tell us, what's, what is the REF and, and why is it necessary? So the REF, that's the acronym for something called the Research Excellence Framework, is a periodic evaluation exercise that the national funding councils do here in the UK. And it's essentially a way of checking the, the quality of research across all disciplines and across all of the universities that submit into it into the UK. So it's, it's a really, really big exercise. So it was about 187,000 publications that were assessed by this exercise, 34 different panels looking at different disciplines. And the reason that we do this um, as a profession is so that we have periodically, and it normally takes place every six or seven years, but a way of assessing the quality of research at different institutions and in different subject areas in different institutions in a way that will inform research funding over the next six, seven year period. So there's about a billion pounds a year that will be allocated through a particular funding stream that follows from the results of these exercises and, and the, the relative kind of grades that different departments uh, get within the university through this exercise will determine the amount of funding that they'll get annually for another six, seven years for, for research um, uh, over that period. So it's quite a big deal in terms of research funding in the UK and something that institutions pay, pay a lot of attention to for, for that reason. And we can get into some of the specifics of what you were talking about there. But first of all, tell us, how do you go about it? What, what is the actual process? So there are essentially three different elements that a REF subpanel will look at when it's looking at a submission by a particular department. One is what's called the outputs or the, the publications that a department will have selected to put forward for review. 
by this exercise. That makes up the bulk of an assessment score that, that will be given. Another element, which is the, the second largest bit, is what's called impact. And this is about the way in which a department can demonstrate or a unit can demonstrate how its research has led to kind of real world changes for a particular group or for an organization. Something that has, through lots of different ways, has made a, a difference to people's lives, where we've been able to capture that through through particular different kinds of evidence. And the third element, a smaller element, is about the research environment that um, departments or units are, are providing uh, for their staff and, and postgraduate students. And that's things like their strategic thinking, how they handle issues around equality and diversity, the, the quality of training and support for PhD students, and the, the ways in which they're able to um, sustain and develop their research through getting external grants income in as well. So th- those are the three different elements. And we, we look through... Um, different parts of a, a submission that address each of those three elements and end up putting together a profile score that, that reflects the relative strengths uh, of each of those different elements within an individual submission. So basically each department um, puts together a kind of package covering you know, the outputs and the impact and the environment and they submit this to the panel. Is that right? That, that's right. And when I, as I use the word department here, I can hear myself correcting myself uh, in my head sometimes because we're, we're in quite a complex environment now where people, for example, in religious studies won't necessarily be working in a single discipline department. They'll be part of a kind of larger multidisciplinary uh, grouping. And what we've seen, started to see a bit more with this exercise is um, sometimes people who work in a theology and religious studies group or, or department being submitted in with another subject area, say history, um, uh, for, for example, or, or, um, or, or other subject areas. So it, the boundaries are a little bit more fluid than that. But probably if we think about departments, that gives us one way of uh, get, getting a handle on this. Yeah, and that, that's an important point because that's something that's changed quite dramatically over definitely the last 10 years, maybe 20 years, is the number of departments, especially religious studies departments, has got smaller and scholars are much more often working in, you know, in, in sociology or anthropology or various areas studies. So that's something that's changed since the 2014 ref, for instance. Is there anything else that's changed during that time? I think that's certainly one one direction of travel. I think probably people are getting more that element that I talked about in about impact. I think people are getting more and more used to that as being part of how we think about our work. But I have to say, within the study of religion, compared to some other disciplines, there was always a really well-established sort of history of working with faith communities and with other partner organizations. So I felt we've always been relatively well positioned to deal with that element of this assessment, because I think people, many people within our discipline just have an intrinsic commitment to that rather than feeling that they're having to be doing this to to jump through the hoops of of an assessment exercise. I think a number of people in our field really feel committed to, to doing work that actually has kind of real world effects. And I think it's great that that can be captured and celebrated through an exercise like this. Yeah, indeed. One thing, I mean, people might have noticed that 
we're talking about Ref 21, but the results were published in 2022. So maybe that's something else that was uh, that had changed, right? <laughs> no, yeah, there's always a bit of a time lag because it takes such a long time. It's basically like a, a year, pretty much, well, nine months to a year of a full-time assessment process because although many people involved in the exercise as assessors are given a, a lot of workload relief from their institutions, not not all, uh, but it, even so, it still takes a lot of time just to work through all of this material. But there was a delay because of COVID, wasn't there? Yes, that, that kind of slowed it down a little bit as well. That That's right. Um, so, and it meant that a lot of the meetings had to take place online, which was a, a kind of different different feature uh, this time around. One of the things that just your question made me think about as well, which is really important to, to stress as well, and I think what you were saying in the introduction, I think sometimes the ref can feel like a real burden sometimes, and it, it does generate a lot of work. But I think one of the values of it as an exercise is that it really does allow a rigorous process of academic peer review view of, of research that enables research funding to be allocated on the basis of those academic judgments rather than I think sometimes policymakers can have a, a kind of priority list of institutions in their head. And I think one of the values of this exercise is that sometimes institutions that might not be at the top of policymakers minds when they think about quality uh, in the kind of UK research base are actually doing very, very well in this exercise and sometimes vice versa. So it really is a way of allocating funding based on academic merit. And that includes subpanels carefully reading all of the research that's submitted to them as well. So not just looking at where it was published uh, for our our subpanel, but really looking at, at the kind of merits of the content of what's in there. That's a, it's a really interesting point, actually, because, I mean, perhaps the outside listener might have assumed a sort of, you know, professional panel judging these kind of things. But it is senior academics who are volunteering their time so that the assessment does reflect our idea of what quality research is, not just some financial value, for instance. Yeah, no, that's right. So, I mean, you could probably... The, the, there might be other ways of allocating research funding that would be based on, on other kind of metrics. But I, I think that's not, particularly in arts and humanities subjects, not a very nuanced way of doing this or not a very satisfactory way of doing doing that. So actually having these judgments really based on, on kind of academic expert judgment is that it's not a perfect system, but it, it's, I think, probably the best uh, the best way that we can manage this. There were some other changes to how REF worked this time round, as well as, you know, like the inadvertent things like COVID, for instance. Mm-hmm. There was also some changes to the way that submissions worked. I know that uh, I think that this time everybody working in a department who was eligible to submit had to submit. Have I understood that? Yes, that's right. So that that was really the so the last exercise was in 2014, Ref 2014, and in some ways the exercise that we went through there were some minor changes with the way that impacts and environment what we were looking at with that, but not very substantial. And the main change that the exercise had to deal with was to invite everyone who has responsibility for research within their their job contracts really to be submitted. That was the expectation for this exercise. Whereas in previous exercises, universities could actually be selective and they would make a judgment about whether um, if they felt that someone's research might not be graded high enough not to submit them. And then they wouldn't get a financial benefit from uh, submitting that, that staff member. But they would make a judgment on, on strategically how to manage that. The point of this exercise was really to capture research being done by everyone, but then with more flexibility about the number of outputs that 
a person would be expected to submit. So it could be one output or it could be up to five. And in some cases where there are particular personal circumstances that someone could be exempted from the requirement to submit an output at all. And that, I think, it's worked well as a change, uh, I think. Um, I think there are still challenges for departments in terms of how they manage that internal assessment about what to submit and, and what not to submit. But I think part of the rationale for doing that is to recognise that people aren't producing at the same level at all stages of their research career for, for really good reasons, because at some points there'll be other things going on in their lives. They may have other professional demands uh, on them. They may have a period where they have a particularly kind of productive research time, partly because of where they are in their research trajectory or because they've got external funding. And so people are going to be at very different stages with that. So I think having that flexibility built into the system, um, if we can use that sensibly within institutions, is a really productive way forward. It was quite striking seeing the results, actually, how bringing in all of people who wouldn't have submitted in uh, previous years for whatever reason, like the, the number of the quality of the outputs that were submitted, where it was really quite impressive. Yeah, no, that, that's right. And that, I think for, uh, for our subject area is a really good news story as well. So what, what happened across the exercise um, was that outputs, the, the kind of profile of grades went up, which you'd kind of expect if institutions this time were able to be more selective about what they could choose, then, then you'd kind of not be too surprised if the output grades on average went up with that. But we found that over 30% of staff who'd been submitted to our theology and religious studies subpanel had produced a piece of research that got the highest grade, the, um, the world leading grade, which is fantastic in terms of a kind of critical mass of research really being kind of spread right across uh, our disciplines and, and across all, all of our subfields within theology and religious studies as well. So I think we're not a subject area which is highly dependent on a few research stars. There really is kind of strength in breadth within our subject area because getting a, that four-star grade for a, a publication isn't an easy thing to do at all. And so that, that I think, was, was a, a really encouraging indicator of, uh, of kind of research strength across our field. I'm not sure whether you'll know this. How does the standard of outputs in TRS compare to other subjects? It's quite hard to make that comparison. One thing I should say um, that, that's an important part of the exercise, which I think was done really well this time, is that there are what, what are called calibration exercises to make sure that the way in which markers in one subpanel are interpreting the assessment criteria are the same as in another subpanel, and so that we're operating to a, a common set of understanding of the standards that, that we're, we're working towards. And th those exercises happen within the subpanels, within the kind of larger groupings that they were part of and, and across the whole exercise. So that, that was a really important check that we were trying to uh, work to a common set of standards. If anyone's keen enough to, to go to the, the main panel and the sub-panel reports, which were available on the REF 2021 website, and there's a lot of useful information, I think particularly if people are wanting to learn more about the exercise within theology and religious studies, looking at our sub-panel report, which is part of the report for main panel D, there's a lot of good information in there. But within those reports, there are tables that would compare the profiles that different subject areas are are getting there. But I suppose the one thing to say with that, without getting bogged down into too many technicalities is that those are weighted profiles. So 
the performance of a really large submission has a disproportionate effect on the overall profile for a subject area. So you can't really compare like for like. They're not really just straightforward averages in which you're comparing one subject with another subject area on a like-for-like basis. There's all sorts of factors that feed into different profiles there, such as that there are different institutions that submit to different sub-panels. Some, in some sub-panels, the large, institu- large submissions perform really well, and in some they didn't, and that really affects the, the profiles you end up with there. So it, it's actually quite hard to, to make a, a, a sort of statistical judgment about that. But certainly what I saw from the calibration exercise was that the, the, the best work that we're doing in our field absolutely stands up to the very best work that, that we're seeing in, in other comparable disciplines as well. That's really interesting. I suppose, oh, and I will add a, a link to the sub-panel report oh, great, to the, yeah. the page. Anyone who wants to follow that up can do so. Yeah. I suppose that TRS is, is a maybe a complex subject for this kind of assessment exercise because it's so internally complex. You know, it straddles yeah. arts and humanities and social sciences, but also there are various sort of area studies and specialities within it where you've got, you know, historical, anthropological, sociology, you know, lots yeah, of different yeah, yeah. disciplinary threads. How do you handle something like that? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And it is a challenge. And we are, I think, probably quite distinctive in, in that way, because you not only have different specialisms around things like biblical studies and theology and religious studies, you'll have people studying different traditions, using different uh, methodologies across the humanities uh, and social sciences, different kind of linguistic and textual skills as well that, that people have. So it's it, it really is a highly diverse panel. And it, in some ways, the, the, the REF has been really supportive of that because we're, in terms of the volume of work that we assess, we're one of the smaller sub-panels in terms of the number of submissions coming to us, but we have been allowed comparatively to have a, a relatively higher proportion of assessors uh, for that range of work, I think in recognition of the kind of diversity uh, that we're having to, to manage there. And it doesn't mean that the assessors have to work with a lot of breadth and have to be capable of doing that in terms of the people that we point as well, but also be, um, and we've seen this both with the REF 2014 and REF 2021 exercise, really generous in terms of celebrating excellence right across all our our subfields. And I've I've never seen any uh, kind of disciplinary turf wars going on uh, within that process. And that's really good to see people who are often perhaps working in quite distinct and separate parts of our broad discipline in, in their normal day-to-day work coming together and working really collaboratively on this process. But yeah, we are, we are an unusual sub-panel in that way. So moving then to, I think, the bigger picture, what does the outcome of REF21 tell us about the subject area? I mean, we're particularly interested in religious studies, I suppose, but obviously TRS broader field is is very important for you know the institutional uh, setting of of the subject we've already talked a little bit about the quality of research outputs for instance but what else can it tell us about student recruitment the the internal kind of institutional factors driving departments uh, just you know a general sort of health of the discipline at the moment i think what i'd say with that is that there's both a lot of to celebrate and also some 
possibly almost unprecedented challenges that we face, which aren't simply to do with the, the ref. We can talk more about that in a, a minute. I, th- I think in terms of things to celebrate, I think we've talked before about the, the kind of strength in breadth in terms of really high quality research across all our subject areas. We saw a, a really noticeable increase in colleagues' success in getting external grant income uh, over this ref cycle. That, that was really, really impressive. And that was feeding into some really strong uh, research environments. It, it's clear that um, when you look at the, the research environments that a number of our departments or units are providing, that there are a number of places in the UK that really are providing international leadership in our in our fields, when, when we think about that in a kind of global context. And that's that, that's encouraging for to, to see as well. And some absolutely outstanding impact work, really transforming individuals' lives, transforming local communities, transforming the practices and activities of major national organizations and transnational bodies. So really, really making a difference. So there's a lot to really protect and to nurture and to celebrate. And I think I mean, going back to what you were saying just earlier about the distinctive nature of our sub-panel, I think there is something very important about the particular skills and understanding that come through the study of religion, a wide variety of skills, partly linguistic, partly textual, partly our understanding of the category of religion and how that has come to evolve and the implications of that, as well as particular forms of religious literacy that may sometimes be higher uh, in our field than, than in some other academic disciplines. So there's a lot that needs uh, nurturing and protecting there. And I think having both vibrant departments within individual universities that can do that, but also bodies like the uh, British Association for the Study of Religions, which provide an opportunity for people to come together where perhaps institutionally they might be feeling a little bit more isolated, I think is, is really, really important for the for the future. So there's a, a lot to um, a lot to celebrate there. And certainly when we looked at the work in religious studies, both the, the textual work, the historical work, the contemporary work, there's examples of world leading work being done across all of those areas. So that that's that's really, really encouraging. And also of doctoral students and early career researchers really making a, a, a vibrant contribution to, to that work as well. So really, really encouraging for the future. There are real challenges, though, as well, which are much more, I think, to do with, in some ways, wider challenges for arts and humanities disciplines more generally. And there we get into problems around patterns of change around student recruitment to talk programs, which aren't really to do with our research profile at all, but shape the income uh, which with which our, our departments and units are, are dealing with. And I think these pressures of I think North America has probably been ahead of us uh, with these trends. And I think a lot of contraction in Australia as well. And I think that's now really hitting a number of arts and humanities divisions within universities very hard, particularly outside of what we call Russell Group institutions, a body of uh, a particularly well-resourced, comparatively well-resourced universities. Arts and humanities outside of those universities is under very, very intense pressure and the, the ability of those universities to sustain work in, in the study of religion when student numbers and student demand is really decreasing is a, a, real, a real challenge. Yeah, well, and of course, the financial uh, outlook for the next few years in a broader sense is not particularly good. So that is going to be the major story for the next few years, I suspect. 
And I think with that, there, there comes a challenge because we know, um, ironically, in the UK that actually student demand for undergraduate courses, for example, is actually going to go up significantly over the next de- uh, decade. We've had a demographic dip uh, in recent years, which has had an effect on the sector, but it's going to significantly grow over the next 10 years. But I think the challenge is that more traditional arts and humanities subjects uh, becoming a bit less popular uh, for some undergraduate applicants who are looking for degrees that will map much more obviously onto future careers. And I think that's going to be one of the really big challenges that we have to think about for the kind of sustainability of our our discipline in terms of how we change our programs uh, and evolve those in a way that really connect with this new generation uh, of incoming students. And that actually is what I think we should be putting our energy into is because there is a perception that uh, theology and religious studies are have poor employability, but they're actually one of the strongest. And we need to get that message across because uh, I think part of the reason is, especially as finances get squeezed, right, working class students particularly are not going to go for a subject that can't guarantee work at the end of. No, that's right. Yeah. And I think being able to give students a clear sense of the the kind of future pathways from from that degree is really important. And there's probably more that we can do in terms of embedding things like skills in digital content production, thinking about the the practical working environments in which an understanding of religion and ethics is important and really bringing that into the curriculum uh, as well. I think that there's a lot that we can be doing with that. Um, as well. And, and here we seem to be maybe straight, sort of straying quite a long way away from the ref. But in a sense, one of the, the biggest threats to research in our field in the future isn't so much from the, the quality of research or negative research assessments. So everything that we've been saying before is that actually things are looking really healthy if we were looking just at that part of the picture. It's that the majority of income for for most of our departments and units comes from teaching income, not the REF. And we also know that whilst the REF, if it, it sort of overturns some expectations about institutional performance, that will have a bearing on the funding that the institutions get. But people's ingrained habits of uh, having a hierarchy of which institutions they think are better than others is really, really hard to shift. And so even if a university that may seem less fashionable has performed really well in the REF, that doesn't necessarily translate into student recruitment at all. So uh, dealing with those wider issues around student recruitment are going to be the thing that will be absolutely essential for ensuring that we can continue to do research in this field and, and maintain those departments that have specialist expertise in the field that, that we really want to be doing. Coming towards uh, the end then, I wanted to ask you two final questions. The first, so what have we learned specifically from REF 2021, but perhaps from the previous REFs as well, like the cumulative? What have we learned about the subject, the field, the state of research in general? Perhaps just to to give a a couple of quick answers on on that one. I think on on a wider issue, um, which isn't just to do with our subject area, but was came up across a number of different subject areas. I think there's much greater attention within the sector, quite rightly, to issues of equality 
and diversity and to problems of uh, underrepresentation of particular groups, um, both in the, the students that we're um, working with uh, and the, the staff groups uh, in, our, in our subject areas as well. I think what this exercise tended to show is that that is very, very much still a work in progress. So I sat on the, uh, the same sub-panel in our subject area for 2014, and it was clear looking at 2021 compared to 2014 that much more work had been done in terms of thinking about issues of gender and to an extent thinking about issues of supporting staff who have caring responsibilities. But much less on thinking about issues around diversity, around uh, race and ethnicity or disability. Uh, and curiously, actually, for our subject area, not inequalities legislation, belief is a protected characteristic. And actually, very few departments in our field actually had reflected on, on the implications of that, that for their work. And that's something that needs or needs to be done on for the future as well. And the exercise, I think, has been a, a helpful stimulus for getting universities to focus on these issues. But it showed that there's still a long, long way to go. And we, we need to kind of really be focusing even more on that, I think, in, in the coming years. I think the other issue more more specifically for our, our subject area is that there are there's both a kind of traditional core to our subject area which is being maintained and clearly really innovative work as well uh, which is often multidisciplinary in nature and I think it's going to be really really important that departments that can ride the storm of, of the coming years are able to support a wide range of work including perhaps some of that traditional core but also the highly innovative work um, at, the, at the leading edge of the discipline as well and that we ensure that that full range of work is, is being sustained uh, in the future. So I think that those are kind of two of the two of the key takeaway things that, that are important to be thinking about. That's great. So what's the future then for the rep? Will there be another? When will it be? Yeah. So it's it's a bit of a um yeah, to be confirmed, really. So there's a thing called the Future Research Assessment Program uh, exercise going on at the moment, which is looking at how this can be done. And basically, every time this exercise happens, everyone complains about how much work it is. And there's always an ambition to reduce the workload the next time it works, which never quite works out that way. My And I, I'm I'm going to be completely guessing. So if, if you're watching this in, in a year or two's time, what I'm saying is completely wrong. <laughs> Please do bear with me. But uh, as of uh, kind of June 2022, what I think may happen is that there will be some possibly changes around elements of national funding, perhaps for doctoral training, which might affect some of what we assess uh, within the REF. There might be a kind of parallel system to the REF. But I think if you accept that we need to have research funding allocated through the funding councils, which is informed by academic peer judgment rather than a purely kind of metric uh, different analysis, what you end up with is an exercise that ends up looking pretty much like the REF, uh, however much you try to, to chop and change that. So I, I think on balance, because it's a really important way of evaluating what is actually a huge amount of money that the government are putting into the higher education sector, where we don't actually have a lot of other evaluation mechanisms for how, how that money is spent. I think it is an important way of continuing that. I think there'll be elements that might be more focused. I think the environment element that we had this time will be more focused, more slimmed down in what it's looking at. I'd expect issues of equality and diversity still to be a really, really important part uh, of that. And I think it's really important that our departments 
proactively engage with those issues uh, as much as they possibly can. I think that's a really important uh, area of work. I also think that another area of important area of work that will be opening up is around what, what's described as research integrity, which is partly uh, what we conventionally think of as being research ethics, but it's about really the wider moral framing of, of what we think about being good standards of research. But I think within our subject area, it can also be quite a useful opportunity to think about the moral commitments and standards that we bring to our work, both in terms of our, our working working practices, but also what, what, what we're aspiring to do through the work, which can include the, the research questions that we're asking in the first place. And I think engaging with those um, debates more explicitly is likely to be more part of a future exercise as well. But we'll see, as I say, that that could all be completely different. It could all be completely metric uh, driven. Uh, we, we may never see the thing uh, again, but I, I suspect I suspect we probably will. And so I think for people who are maybe still doing their, their PhDs or moving into that kind of post-PhD transition, it may seem like uh, a really um, sometimes perhaps a slightly arcane or a removed discussion that we've been having about a technical national process. But if we do continue to have a, a REF, it's such an important way for the ways in which you universities think about how they manage their research activities and how they work with staff in, in preparing for that, that it's really, really important if you're at that, that stage in your career to be aware of that and to be aware of the implications of, of preparing for that, particularly when you're doing things like preparing CVs uh, or, or thinking about what priorities might be uh, if you're uh, competing in the job market. And if, you, if you're not sure about that, then do do talk to colleagues uh, you know who may be more familiar with the ref exercise who might, might be able to talk more more through with you about the implications that might have uh, for work that you're doing. But yeah, that, that would be my, my thoughts on, on how, we, how we think about the preparing for the future anyway. Well, we won't hold you to any of those things if they change, but um, thanks so much for talking to us today and thanks for your work for the discipline. Yeah, it's a pleasure, David. And yeah, no, really happy to, to chat today. And th thanks for making time for this. Thank you. No, my pleasure. Thanks so much to David and Gordon for this great episode and unpacking and breaking down what all is at stake in the RAF 2021 report. Of course, as David mentioned uh, in the episode, we do have the actual report linked to the episode page on our website. So be sure to head over to our website at religiousstudiesproject.com where you can find that report, more information about the episode and a transcript as well. Also, a big thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in today. We'd love to hear your thoughts and your knowledge or experience of working with the REF. So head over to social media to let us know in the comments. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, as we were thinking about funding in today's episode, I would just also like to ask that you consider supporting the Religious Studies Project, either by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash project RS, where you can sign up for as little as $1 a month, or giving us a one-time donation via PayPal. Also, don't forget that you can use our amazon.com.co.uk or .ca links when shopping online. A small portion of your purchase will be donated to us. Thank you for any of the support that you're able to give. And until next time, all that's left to say is thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening. 
The RSP is sponsored by the British Association for the Study of Religions, the North American Association for the Study of Religion, and the International Association for the History of Religions. The Religious Studies Project is produced by the Religious Studies Project Association, SCIO, a Scottish charitable incorporated organisation, charity number SC047750. Brought to you by Editor-in-Chief Andy Alexander and founding editors Chris Cotter and David Robertson. Our features are edited by Israel Dominguez and Savannah Finver and our Opportunities Digest by Trevor Lynn. Audio editing by Alex Matthews and Nathan Springer. Podcast transcription by Ayesha Javid and Jacob Noblet. And social media managed by Candice Mixon. Don't forget, you can support the project by using our amazon.com.co.uk and .ca links or donating at patreon.com slash projectrs. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, iTunes, Instagram, and other portals. Thanks for listening.